Welcome and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Now let's listen to Shannon, Chloe and Brittany from Hope Centre Brisbane for their message. Okay, so today I'm going to talk about how Jesus is merciful and kind. So before I begin, I want to tell you a little story. So imagine that you're grocery shopping. It's been an hour and a half, your trolley's overflowing, you're busting to go to the toilet, got a splitting headache. You've been lining up for like 20 minutes just to pay for your groceries. You're just about there and someone cuts in front of you, also with a huge trolley. How do you feel? If it was me, probably frustrated, angry, disliking that person very greatly. But then now think, what would Jesus do? Um, there's, a ver- there's a verse in Matthew 9, 10 to 13. It says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous, not sinners. But, uh, sorry. I have come to call the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners. So back in Jesus' time, tax collectors were hated and despised. Um, according to the Jewish law, giving tax was seen as disobeying and disloyal to God. And the fact that most tax collectors were Jews were even hated by their own people. To put them in comparison, there was upper class, middle class, lower class sinners, and then tax collectors. So they were pretty bad. Um, Now, although that was such a bad category, Jesus was the middle class. And despite the custom of the time, Jesus fully chose by his own will to go out of custom and sit and eat with these people. By doing this, he showed them kindness, he gave them dignity, he gave them worth, he showed mercy towards them. This can be implied for us today. In society, if someone came in contact with an outcast or someone who wasn't liked, the common reaction wouldn't be to invite them for a cup of tea. It would most likely be to judge them and run away as far as possible. But Jesus showed in this story he did the opposite. Although everyone else, the custom, it was always seen as right to go away and ignore them. But Jesus chose to do the opposite and show mercy and kindness. You know, this is exactly what Jesus is calling us to do. He says, don't just um, ignore the outcasts. Don't um, categorize people. He says, show love and mercy to everyone. Um, And just like he sat with the lowest of the low, we too can show mercy and show kindness. Mercy is something that doesn't necessarily mean people deserve it, but it means we still need to show kindness to them. In Matthew twenty-two, thirty-nine, Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself. This can be seen also in mercy. You know, we can't just give mercy without receiving it. So it's so important that we can receive God's mercy. God forgives us. He is kind. In Romans 8, 1, it says, do not live under condemnation. We need to allow God's mercy and forgiveness and love in our lives. And once we do that, then we can outpour it into others. We can show kindness to people, no matter the walk of life they come from, no matter their race, their culture, their religion. These things should not matter. We should just show kindness to everyone. Here's a story in my life. Okay, so when I was 11 years old, I remember you do anything for lollies or chocolate or money, like anything. 
So I remember I begged my parents, I was like, okay, anything. So they're like, okay, you can go and wash the car. So I was like, oh, okay, it's worth it for a block of chocolate. So I remember I filled up the water by myself, filled up the soap bucket, did a probably very dodgy job, but I did it with as hard as I could and I earned that block of chocolate. And I said, okay, I'm going to hide it in my room. So I hid it in my room and I come back the next day finding my chocolate and I see an empty wrapper. Mm -hmm. My little sister had gotten to it. Now, in that moment, I could have yelled at her, screamed at her, told her I didn't love her. I could do all these things. Or, despite the fact that she didn't deserve my forgiveness, I could forgive her because that's what Jesus calls us to do. Um, So it's so important, even if those little things like someone steals your chocolate, it's so important to be kind and merciful to people. Because at the end of the day, it's about showing mercy to people no matter their background, their status, their class, because God showed us kindness and Jesus is kind. So yeah, and now I'd like to invite Shannon and he's going to keep talking about who Jesus is. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you, Chloe. That was really, really good. And as I was sitting there, because uh, this morning I'm going to be talking on Jesus is hope. And as I was sitting there, I'm like, man, basically everything you're sort of saying is very similar to what I'm saying, but just insert the word hope. However, I will share you from maybe a slightly different perspective. Uh, and I'm going to share from uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 13, which says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Chloe talked about mercy is received from God and we receive mercy, we receive grace, we receive hope on the cross through what Jesus has done for us and only through that we're then able to share it out. See, uh, as Chloe said, my name is Shannon, and I'm actually have, I have the privilege of being a third-year intern, so I've, I've failed twice, and I'm, I'm going to get it right this time. No, I've, um, uh, I'm on an exciting uh, journey as God's leading me towards uh, ministry, and, and at home in Brisbane, I work a lot with uh, university students, and we go in there and we, uh, we shine the light of Jesus to those guys in there. And this week, uh, I've had the privilege of leading our first years into the Alice Springs Women's Shelter, where we've met an amazing group of women who, again, showing hope to a world that is craving for it. They're dying for it. It's, it's, uh, it's sometimes, I mean, there was one moment sitting in the office, tearing up over some of the stories that they're sharing of some of these women who through life circumstances have lost hope. And, and me, I actually grew up as a pastor's kid. So this church this is very familiar to me. Church is something that I grew up with a lot, but around when I became a, uh, a young adult person, I moved out of mum and dad's home, out of the boundaries of, uh, of their, their shelter, and I was given complete freedom, well, which I thought was freedom. And in fact, I ran around and I was a bit of a headless chook and I did all sorts of things, chasing relationships and uh, starting a career, chasing money and I see that still in a lot of people chasing a lot of stuff. And I think even today, even if we call ourselves a Christian, we can be chasing stuff because there is a hole that is designed to be filled with a hope that only comes from Jesus. And when we try to put out, 
when we try to actually go and be merciful and we try to give hope and like this week when we're giving hope to a dying world, we need to be prayed up and we need to recognize that we need to first be filled with that hope that comes from Jesus. And the only way that we're able to do that is to come at the cross. To come at the foot of the cross where, where hope came down in the form of a man of Jesus and gave his life so that we could have the complete freedom away from the stuff like relationships or whatever the, the substance it is that you find hope, whether it's, yeah, relationships with someone, whether it's your career. I mean, I've got a myriad of friends that I walk with who are both in church or out of church who have their hope in their careers, have their hope in future things that really are going to fade away uh, at the end of this day. So... Um, so Jesus, Jesus is our hope. Jesus is, has been my hope. And three years ago, uh, with my Sunday school education as a, as a preacher's kid, I walked into church and, and uh, heard Jesus call my name. And, uh, and I gave my life to him in a most powerful, dramatic uh, encounter with him through the Holy Spirit. And as it says there, that it's really about trust. It, it, it hinges on this. You will be filled with joy and peace from the God of hope when you trust in him. And it's a daily struggle for us to trust in God. But when we persevere, when we keep pushing on, when we keep allowing him through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, we're going to see a transformed world as we introduce people to the name of Jesus, this hope giver. So thank you very much, guys. Uh, It has been an absolute blessing to be here with you guys. And I'm going to introduce Brittany, who's going to continue our little mini-series on Jesus Is. Thank you very much. Cool. Thank you so much, Shannon. Sweet. So, yeah, um, Chloe talked about Jesus is merciful. And then Shannon talked about Jesus is hope. And for me, when they asked me to fill in that, like, blank space, the first word that came to my mind was Jesus is light. And so for me, Jesus is light. Um, in the book of John, chapter 8, verse 12, it says, okay, never mind. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never, everyone say never. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I think this verse is like so amazing. And it's just so full of like hope and love and God's promise over our lives. And they're absolutely words to live by. And like I've been in Sunday school, like Shannon, when I was young. And I always heard in Sunday school, like Jesus is the light of the world. And like, yeah, you're like, you're like little and like, yeah, Jesus is. But like, um, I, like when I look back in my life, I feel like there's a big difference between like knowing that he's alive the world, but and actually like believing and living in that truth. And um like I've been in church um my whole life. Um I, I was a good child, I was a good student, but I can't say I was like an upstanding follower of Christ. Um and I think it was because I focused a lot about me and like it was just about me, not me plus him and it was all about my place in this world and what I wanted to do and like what job I wanted to have what I wanted to do after school and I always thought about like random like cliches of life like oh I'm gonna get a cool mansion or I'm gonna have a a cool car make a lot of money like random things like that and um I've had a lot of adults like with no malicious intent at all like 
constantly asked me, like, what do you want to do with your life? And it gave me, like, so much stress and so much anxiety. And, like, because of those emotions, I had to, like, quickly come up with a plan that I was going to follow in life and, like, I was going to come through with this plan. And that plan didn't have any sort of, like, passion in it. And it didn't have any, like, morals or, like, ideals or, like, wishes that I actually wanted to do in life. And it wasn't based off of what Jesus had for me at all. Like, Jesus was not a part of that plan at all. And, like, have you ever tried, like, trying to live a life, trying to walk down a path in life that is built on, like, typical worldly views, that's built on things that other people want you to do and not about what you and God want you to do? And when you do that, it's really hard and it kills your spirit, and like life gets kind of dark, and life gets kind of sad, but um, for me, that changed a lot like five years ago, um, when I was in grade nine, to 2013, I went to this youth group, and it was like totally different than, totally different to the church that I had been to previously, and at this youth group, there were like kids there my age, and they were all worshiping God, and um, I just looked at them, and I saw how much they loved God, and I saw how much Jesus shined his light on their lives. And I just wanted what they had. Like, they seemed so, like, free, and they seemed like they um, had so much joy in their life, and I wanted to experience that joy so badly. And so that night, I, like, raised my hand to the pastor when he asked who wants to give their life to Jesus. And that was, like, a big turning point in my faith. And then a year later, I went to a youth conference, and this was, like, three days of Jesus, and after this, I was, like, so on fire for God. I was super pumped, but, like, I still had confusion in my faith. Like, I was still questioning, like, why did Jesus have to die? Like, I didn't understand it fully, and so I went home, and I prayed. I was like, God, I'm going to read the Bible. I don't want to Google it. I just want you to, like, talk to me as I read, and, like, within, like, the first chapters I was reading, and I was reading Romans, um, within the first couple of chapters, it just started answering, like, all these questions I ever had about why Jesus had to die on the cross, and it just told me that, like, Jesus is, like, the savior of the world, and, like, us as sinners, like, he took that sin on the cross so that Jesus could love us, and so that that we could have amends for the sin that we have. And yeah, I was like 15 in my room crying so much, just crying so much. And I was buzzing on the fact that, that God gave Jesus up for us. I'm like up for me. And I couldn't deal with that fact. It was crazy. And um, from that moment in my life, I decided like, you know what? If God loves me so much, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to make him the Lord over my life. And like my life has it's so different now. I just, it's, it's just changed so much. And I feel as though my life is just filled with like so much color. And I, I don't say color because it's like a happy sounding word, but because like I see the world and I see my life in like new ways and in new colors. And because of Jesus's light in my life, I'm so content with the path that he's put me on. And he has taught me that life isn't about me alone and my own plans for myself because I am a child of God and I have peace and I'm blessed to live in the knowledge that God has like a plan for me and that whatever situation I'm in his hand is going to outwork in that situation and he's filled my heart with so much joy and so much peace and comfort over any stresses I ever had and when I do feel anxious about anything like he renews that peace and he gives me even more strength when I'm at my weakness and like today I'm in Bible college and I, I love it so much internship is like amazing and I get to be in this beautiful place in Alice Springs and I get to serve God in the community here and I get to see the world in even more colors and in even more ways and like um like did you know at night you actually can't see the world like in the true vivid colors it has something to do with the eye that I don't actually fully understand but like 
it's like the only way to see the world like in the colors you need the light you can't have darkness with color and like Jesus has given me that colorful light because of the light that he shined in my life and um yeah like the only like and yeah like that's the only way I feel like I've had a happy life, like besides my family, of course, but like Jesus has just so, done so much for me. And um, there's another verse, it is Romans 6, 23, and it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And can you leave that up for a bit, Heidi? And um, I love this verse so much because it's like, it talks about like different things. Like, so like on this side, you have like wages, sin, and death. And then like on this side over here, you have like the gift, you have God, and you have eternal life. But like God's over there, but like we're over here on this side. And like we have wages, sin, and death. But like we don't have to pay a wage. We don't need to pay anything to be over there, to be in relationship with God. We don't need to experience sin because God's over there. He's bigger than any sin that we ever had. And we don't need to be in death because we have eternal life in God, but the only way for us to get from here to over there, we've got to walk down a path. But like, this path is not built by us. It's built by Jesus, built by Christ Jesus. Woo, our Lord, sorry. And um, this is like the truth, and this is the light that I live on. And it fills my heart with so much joy. It really does. And um, I don't know. Ooh, sorry. I love God. <laughs> um, I don't know what path you're on today. Um, I don't know what obstacles are on your path. And um, it could be similar to mine. It could be totally different to what I had. But I just want to greatly encourage you to like live a life in his word, to pray, to read the Bible, to, um, just to get closer to God and to stay faithful and to just see the world through a lens that is lit by Jesus' light. And um, yeah, because like with that light, like I said, like you will never have darkness. And um, before I invite Pastor Graham up, I would like to also say that because we live in that light, that light is something that we have to share with others. It's not something we're supposed to hide. It's something that we're supposed to let be. We're supposed to let it be visible so that others can see and that so that they can experience that light as well. And um. Yeah, it's something I'm trying to do more, to be more bold, to step out in faith, and because I want others to experience the transformational power that Jesus had in my life as well. And so, yeah, thank you so much, Pastor Graham. Good morning. Wasn't that wonderful? All three have just brought a wonderful perspective on who Jesus is. And I'm going to continue that around communion. But before I I do, I'd just like to take a moment to say uh, thank you. As you know, I'm Pastor Graham. They they affectionately call me Pastor G these days. Yeah, they've dropped the G-force, called me Pastor G. And uh, it's been my my privilege to be on team at at Hope Centre and to have the high honour of leading the internship, running the college, being the principal of the college. Um, But it's a team effort. And uh, for the last three years, we've been bringing our first-year interns here uh, to you guys with Pastor Ben and Danielle. And uh, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you. Um, You look after us so well. Uh, You give up your houses, you give up your cars, you take us in, you feed us. And we are so blessed by your hospitality. And so um, from our heart to yours, thank you so very much. And thank you, Pastor Ben and Danielle, because you give up your time, your team and and yourselves are so engaged with us when we're here. We don't feel like visitors, we feel like family. And then you give us your Sunday. 
I can't believe that. I mean, Pastor Ben is one of the best communicators in the country, and uh, he gives up his pulpit for us. So thank you for investing in us and believing in us. So let's give these guys a very warm hand. Thank you very much. You know, uh, I want to continue our Jesus is this morning with this idea that Jesus is the giver of life. And uh, as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, I want to read from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26, from the Passion Translation. It says, I have handed down to you what came to me by direct revelation from the Lord himself. The same night in which he was handed over, he took bread and gave thanks. Then he distributed it to the disciples and said, Take it and eat your fill. It is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. He did the same with the cup of wine after supper and said, This cup seals the new covenant with my blood. Drink it, and whenever you drink this, do it to remember me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the story, proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes. I love the, the truth that communion is not some uh, religious uh, institution that we follow, some sacramental thing that we're meant to follow religiously. It's actually God's idea for us to take communion whenever we do. And uh, because Paul uh, communicating with, this, with the Corinthian church said, I, I give to you what I received by direct revelation from Jesus himself. Paul had no idea that we were meant to do this. Jesus gave him this idea. Um, and what I love is that communion uh, is God's idea. And though Jesus is alive, he is risen from the dead, communion is a retelling of the story of Jesus. But a particular aspect of the story of Jesus, and it's this, communion is, is, is retelling the story of Jesus' death until he comes. So why retell the death of someone who is alive? Why not talk about him being alive? Well, he is alive, but communion retells the story of his death. And the reason that we retell the story of Jesus' death is because Jesus' death is the most significant and impacting thing that has ever happened, can ever happen, will ever happen on this planet. Nothing matters more to us than the fact that Jesus died. His death changed everything. Everything changed in the events leading up to and in the final hours and in the moment that Jesus died. Jesus' death dismantled death and it obliterated all of its effects upon our lives and through his death we can receive life. That's why we retell the story of his death. And Matthew 23 records six significant occurrences that take place surrounding and and upon the death of Jesus Christ. Four of these occurrences are supernatural acts of God that happen as Jesus dies, and two of them are cries that we hear coming from the Savior's lips, the last two cries that he utters. The first supernatural event that happened is that 
in the last three hours that Jesus hung on the cross, from 12 midday, when the sun is at its brightest, to three hours in the afternoon, so we know it's not an eclipse, the land was darkened, the sun was hidden, and, and the, the geographical region came under complete darkness. It's not a myth. It's not an imaginary thing that happened. It's not a literary device to be illustrative. It's actually recorded in the history of the day that on the day Jesus died, it's in secular history, that darkness came over the whole land for three hours. Darkness always speaks of the judgment of God. And as Jesus hung on the cross and became sin for us, it's not something that we think about a lot. But if we don't think about it, we'll never understand how great the love of God is for us. And that is at that moment, in that three-hour period, as darkness covers the land, the wrath of God was poured out upon his son, Jesus Christ. No one could withstand that wrath. You and I could not withstand the wrath of God. But we don't need to. Because Jesus died. Jesus died under the hand of the wrath of God. So we can live under the hand of God's love. His righteousness was appeased. God's desire for justice against sin, his righteous justice, his righteous anger and wrath was appeased in that moment that Jesus died in our place. After that three hours of darkness had, had taken place, Jesus uttered his first of two cries that Matthew records, and it's this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's most likely that as Jesus became sin for us on the cross, God had to turn away from his son. God could not look upon his son in that moment. And in that moment, Jesus dying alone on the cross felt completely abandoned by God. But it wasn't a cry of doubt. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Neither was it a cry of unbelief. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was a cry of separation. It was a cry of lostness. My God, my God, why aren't you in my life? And it, uh, it's a cry that identifies with our state. Lost, separated before God. No way of coming into life and relationship with God except through one means and one means alone, the death of Jesus Christ. And then the Bible tells us, Matthew tells us that Jesus gave out one more passionate cry and then breathed his last and gave up his spirit. We know what that last passionate cry was because John records it and it's this. As he cried out that second time, Jesus cried out, it is finished. And that was a victory cry. 
because everything that was that was needed to win the battle for a lost humanity was won in that moment. Everything that needed to be done to bring salvation to us, to restore our relationship to our loving Heavenly Father had been accomplished in that moment on, in those circumstances surrounding the, the death of Jesus upon his cross. And then the Bible says that Jesus breathed his last and gave up his spirit. And then the Bible in Matthew 23 says, and in that moment, at that exact time, three more supernatural things took place. The first supernatural thing was darkness across the, across the land. There were the two cries. And as Jesus gave up his spirit in that moment, three supernatural things took place. The first was this. The veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And it signifies that God himself reached down and tore that veil that it kept us separated from relationship and the presence of God in our life. Everything that stood against us and between us, as, as, uh, as Brittany had explained, that all that God has to offer us, and there's a bridge that's built. On the, as Jesus gave up his last, it's like God reached out and tore the temple from top to bottom, signifying that the way into relationship with God and we have access to his presence. But then at that same moment, the earth shook violently. There was an earthquake and rocks split apart. You know, it's like all of creation responded to the death of Jesus and said, we can throw off the chains that bind us. And that is so powerful for our lives because our freedom comes through the death of Jesus Christ. And the third thing that happened, which is the sixth occurrence, is that the graves of many of God's people were opened. They were raised from the dead. They walked into town and were seen in Jerusalem for many days. Do you know the resurrection life of God wasn't released three days later? when Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection life of God was made available to us immediately upon the death of Jesus Christ. Because when life died, death died. Isn't that an amazing thought? The death of Jesus Christ. And this was all for us. I'm going to invite the band to come. I'm going to invite the uh, service host to distribute uh, communion for us this morning. And we're going to remember again that this was for us. I'm going to read again from verse 23 in 1 Corinthians 11. The same night in which... Jesus was handed over or betrayed. He took bread and gave thanks. Then he distributed it to the disciples and said, Take it and eat your fill. It is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. He did the same with the cup of wine after supper and said, This cup seals the new covenant with my blood. Drink it, and whenever you drink this, do it to remember me. Can you catch this idea this morning? 
as as uh, Chloe has talked about the kindness of God and Shannon has talked about the hope of God and Brittany has talked about the light of God that Jesus is kindness Jesus is hope Jesus is light but in this moment around communion that we see that Jesus is life giver can you catch this thought that everything that Jesus did for us in his death was for us everything that Jesus has accomplished through his death was for us Jesus was judged so we could be forgiven it's a wonderful thought someone said I think it was Chloe said that we're no longer under the condemnation of God it's a wonderful thought to realize that God's not mad at us he never can be because his wrath came upon Jesus on the cross it can never come upon us God has no desire to ever be angry with us. He's not mad with us. God loves us as demonstrated by the death of his son. Jesus endured abandonment, so we never need to. The the Bible is so clear. Jesus, the Bible says this, God himself has said. It's one thing for a writer to say something. It's one thing to read the scripture that says God himself has said. And God God himself has said this, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God can never abandon us because he abandoned his son Jesus on the cross so that we never need to be abandoned. It was done for us. Jesus suffered rejection in his death so we could be accepted. Jesus was separated from God in his death so we can live with the presence of God in his life. And that's why we retell his story. We we retell the story of the death of the one who lives forever and is alive. We retell that story of his death because his death invites us into relationship with God. We can become a child of the living God. His death invites us into freedom, just like the the earthquake happened and the rocks split open. His death invites us into the freedom from sin and its destruction and the bondage. And you know those things that live in your life that you think, I can never be rid rid of this. Well, the death of Jesus invites us into a life of freedom, into a life of wholeness, into a life of healing. His death invites us into life in all of its fullness. And we retell his story because there's no greater way to tell of his great love for you and for me. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. That's amazing love. And we retell the story of his death because he's not dead he's alive there's no story to tell if there's no risen Jesus there's no story to tell if Jesus isn't alive but we retell his story because he's alive raised from the dead on the third day and we retell his story because he's present with us right here right now because that's the promise of God where two or more are gathered in my name there I will be in their midst and we retell his story because he asks us to remember remember my death remember my body broken for you 
Remember my blood poured out for you. Don't be locked into what you're thinking. Don't be locked into what you're feeling. Be released by remembering. By remembering and in remembering, Jesus invites us to believe and to receive. Because He says, take, eat. This is my body that was broken for you. Eat as much as you want. Have your fill. Participate. Take, drink. This is my life that was poured out for you. This is the covenant in my blood. And, and, and the invitation is, will we receive life from Jesus, the life giver this morning? Not literally through the cracker and the juice, but through faith. By opening our heart to believe, by realizing the greatest thing that can ever take place on the planet has taken place. The most significant thing that can ever take place on the planet has taken place. The most impacting thing for humanity that that can ever take place on the planet has taken place. It's this. Jesus died for you. Encouraged by this message. For more information, check out our website at desertlifechurch.org.